you're listening to a City on a Hill podcast. We'd love you to use and share this podcast, but please refrain from editing the content without permission from City on a Hill. If you'd like to know more about our church, or if you'd like to donate to the work of City on a Hill, please visit cityonahill.com.au. And Jesus came and said to them, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. And behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. Well, there we have it, the Great Commission. Love a good short Bible reading. Uh, and so we're going to get straight into the first line of this Bible reading. Uh, we're going to take one sentence at a time over the next four weeks and see how this very influential moment at the end of Jesus' time on earth might be able to shape us uh, in our own time. And so I'm going to pray as we dive into God's Word and join me in Matthew 28. Uh, Almighty God, we thank you that you are a God who has spoken. We pray, Lord, we will be a people who listen. Come and make Jesus as big and as beautiful as he really is to us today. Bless us with seeing the the things in our lives as small and Jesus as really, really big. And would you help us focus our minds, our hearts, our lives upon him afresh today. We pray this in Jesus' name, and all God's people said, Amen. Well, before we dive in today, let me uh, set the context for where we find ourselves here, because we're coming in right at the end of Matthew's biography of Jesus. Uh, Jesus has summoned His disciples to a mountaintop, and He's standing there, and it says in verse 16, Now the eleven disciples went to Galilee, to the mountain to which Jesus had directed them. And when they saw Him, they worshipped Him, but some doubted. And so these disciples have kind of been with Jesus now for some three or, or four years. They've walked with Him, they've lived with Him, and then, tragically, they've, they've, they've seen Him die. They've seen His body become breathless, limp, and be taken down off a cross and put into a tomb. And then, amazingly, they've seen Jesus burst out of that tomb. They've seen Jesus rise from the dead. And now this Jesus, risen Lord, stands before them on a mountain. Some of them are led to worship in that moment. And yet there's some more who are there, hmm, I'm not sure what I think about this. They're doubting. Some of them are doubting. There's uncertainty, there's trepidation, they're nervous about what the future might hold for them. And the the context into which Jesus is going to speak to them, perhaps therefore is not too dissimilar to the context in which we find ourselves today, in which Jesus is going to speak to us from this same passage. Perhaps we're bruised and battered by two years of frustration and uncertainty. Perhaps we also don't know what the future holds for us. 
And so what Jesus says to them now in this passage might be also the very thing that Jesus would say to us in our context today. How Jesus responds to their doubt and their uncertainty might just be the way that Jesus would respond to our doubt and our uncertainty. And so we're going to look at what he says, and today we're just going to double-click into the first line. All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. We're going to focus just on that line that began this great commission. We're going to look at Jesus' authority. Now, in Australia, we have a love-hate relationship with authority, don't we? Uh, It is embedded in our cultural consciousness to be suspicious of authority. And that's what happens, I guess, when the majority of your population came here a couple of hundred years ago and half of them were criminals and half of them were police officers and it was like a real-life experiment of the Stanford prison experiment. That it kind of just gets rubbed into the culture of Australia. But it'd be true to say that, that what we know is that the authority we sense someone has, it affects how we will behave in front of them. I, I, this, this, this was very clear to me in high school. Uh, in high school when uh, it was a normal day with my class and we had our, our usual teacher for a particular period, you know, the level of sanity and obedience in the classroom was, was pretty neutral because the, the, the lines of authority were very clear. We were the students, the teacher was our teacher, they had the authority and so, you know, there was a level of, of sanity and order in the classroom. But then there were these days Those awesome days when you head out to recess, you're at the playground and you hear that the teacher you have for the next couple of periods is away. And you hear that that you're going to have an emergency teacher, you're going to have a a substitute teacher. And you immediately know, gee, the next two periods are going to be fun. This is going to be an awesome time. And so uh, you you, you kind of strut on in to your, your class And, you know, it's a very good argument for evolution, what happens to teenage boys when they're sitting in a classroom in front of a substitute teacher, because we all devolve into monkeys. You know, it's just just absolute chaos. There is no order. There is disorder. The level of sanity and obedience in the classroom completely plummets. But then there were other days where you head out to recess, you're out on the playground, and you hear that, that your normal teacher isn't, isn't going to be there for the next couple of periods. And, and, and you start to get giddy and you think, oh, this is going to be awesome. The next couple of periods are going to be an absolute bludge. And so perhaps you, you rock up to your next class about five minutes late and you kind of, you, you, you stroll on in, hop, skipping and jumping, thinking that, hey, this is going to be awesome. And you, you're kind of walking through the front door of the classroom, re- ready to, to kind of give like a really smart alecky, hello, miss, to, to whoever the, the substitute teacher is. And then you look down the front and it's the vice principal. And when you realize that actually it's the vice principal who's going to be overseeing your class today, suddenly it's as if there's moral revival has come upon the class and everybody's shirts are tucked in again and everybody's socks are where they're meant to be and everybody is very well behaved because it's the vice principal. And no one says anything at all about that. But everybody's behavior shifts because they sense the authority that's in the room. Now here is Jesus who is telling his disciples that he has all authority in heaven and on earth. Now, if that is true, depending on your relationship with Jesus, that is either the scariest news ever or it is the best news ever. Because Jesus doesn't say, hey, if you acknowledge me, I will have all authority in heaven and on earth. 
He doesn't say, please submit to my authority. If you're cool with it, I will have all authority. No, he says, all authority is mine. All authority on heaven and earth has been given to me. Jesus has all authority. It is a fact that Jesus has all authority. And so that should, like it did when I was in the classroom, it should shape how we think, how we act, how we feel, how we behave, and how we respond to Jesus. It should shape how we plan our time, our energy, our values, our priorities, and particularly at the dawn of a new year, where we're all thinking about what this year is going to hold. It should shape how we think about what we want to use our time with, how we we want to use our time, how we want to uh, shape our year, where we should shape it in light of the fact that Jesus has all authority. So we're going to look at Jesus' authority in three particular sections. Each one of these sections, I've I've come up with a, a, a couple of a pairing of words to help us understand what Jesus is saying. First, let's look at Jesus' authority. It is eternal and it is earned. All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me, he says. It's a very interesting sentence because on the one hand, the Bible makes it very clear that Jesus is God. John's biography of Jesus. We're looking at Matthew's today, but John starts out, within the beginning was the Word and the Word was God and the Word was with God. And then later it says that that Word became flesh and dwelt among us. And Jesus proved that He was that God made flesh in His life through His miraculous healing, His storm-stopping power, those moments where He was able to forgive people's sin in how He died and then, of course, in how he took back his life and rose again. And so Jesus has had all authority in heaven and on earth forever. He is the the second person of the Trinity, co-eternal and equal with the Father and the Spirit. And so he has always been God. He will always be God. And yet at the same time, the story of the Bible points us to, to, to this coming man, Throughout the Old Testament, it's always looking forward to this this man who would come. Genesis 3 says that it would be the the seed of the woman who would come and crush the snake. Deuteronomy 18 says that, hey, there's there's going to be a a prophet who comes who's who's greater than Moses. 2 Samuel 7 says, hey, there's going to be a king who comes who's, who's greater than David's son, Solomon. Very famous passage in Daniel chapter 7 is a vision that Daniel has, and it says, I saw in in the night visions... And behold, with the clouds of heaven, there came one like a son of man. And he came to the ancient of days and was presented before him. To him was given dominion, a glory, and glory, and a kingdom, that all peoples, nations, and languages should serve him. His dominion is an everlasting dominion, which shall not pass away. His kingdom, one that shall not be destroyed. He's telling us that a son of man would come and would be given all authority. And then sure enough, Jesus comes on the scene and he defeats the crafty serpent, Satan, He brings God's Word like a a prophet. He's able to lead with wisdom that had never been seen before, even in the likes of Solomon. And the most common way that he describes himself in his life is that he is the Son of Man. Jesus is the man who was to come. Jesus is the one who would be given all authority. And so that's why he says here, all authority in in heaven and on earth has been given to me. 
Jesus is fully God and has always been there. But Jesus is also fully man. And 2,000 years ago, he added humanity to his divinity. And everything hung on how he would do when he did so, when he added humanity. It's the story of the Old Testament. We've looked at it recently when we've been looking at uh, our series in Kings at the back, up, back end of, of 2021. There's this yearning for, for when, where will a real leader, will a real leader please stand up? When will a real leader come and lead us in righteousness? Adam, the first man, failed, yet Jesus, the second man, comes as the second Adam. And Jesus triumphed gloriously. Jesus resisted temptation. He, he called out sin. He offered mercy and grace. He cast out demons. He raised the dead. He set apart disciples. He laid down his life. He took it back up again. Jesus did it. Jesus won. Jesus was successful. He was victorious. He secured our salvation. Therefore, Philippians says, God has highly exalted him and bestowed on him the name that is above every name, so that that name every knee will bow and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. And so Jesus' authority is eternal. It has always been, because he has always been. And yet Jesus' authority is also earned, because he came and he lived faithfully, he died sacrificially, and he rose victoriously. And so more glory has been added upon him. It's been given to him. And so he will always be the one who receives that glory. This is why at Sydney on a Hill we say, know Jesus and make Jesus known a lot. And we don't say, although we, we could, but there's a reason we don't, know the Father and make the Father known. Know the Spirit and make the Spirit known. Because the God has sent Jesus to come and be the one who is exalted. More glory has been given to him because he won, he completed the mission, he slayed the dragon, he redeemed the bride. And this is a very important point to make sure we don't get wrong, because without it, we would have no hope. Yesterday, I I was able to officiate a wedding uh, of Emily and Darren. Emily has been a a big part of uh, our church for a couple of years. Uh, And weddings are always very joyous and celebratory occasions, naturally. One thing I didn't realize before I myself uh, got married was that behind the the beauty and the joy and the celebration and the happiness, there is a lot of admin. You know, at least 30 days before you get married, you've got to sign a a notice of intention to marry form, and it's a, a government document, and it's in accordance with the Marriage Act of 1961 and of Regulation 38 and Marriage Regulation Legislation of 1963. And then leading up to the day, there's a, a, another form you need to sign where it's the declaration of no legal impediment to marriage to pretty much say that you're old enough and that you're happy to get married and you're not already married. And that's backed up by Section 71 and 79 of the Marriage Regulation Legislation of 2017. And you know, as everyone's laughing and enjoying themselves and cheersing and, and celebrating and, and just delighting in the wedding day, how many people are thinking about the legislation behind marriage. No one, absolutely no one thinks about the paperwork that's going on behind or the things that are undergirding the marriage that wouldn't be able to happen if those things didn't exist. And that's a little bit like theology, especially this kind of deeper 
theology of the Trinity, Trinitarian theology, we call it, or Christ's two natures. We can look at it and think it's very, you know, it's dry, it's distant, it's kind of unnecessary. I'll let that, let that, let that kind of be, be the, the ground for academics. And yet it undergirds our whole experience of salvation. The people have, have fought for it and died for it and spent centuries protecting these truths in, in creeds and confessions. Because being fully God, only Jesus could perfectly and sufficiently atone for our offense against God, for our sin. But he also, he needed to be man to represent us, to live life in our place, to die a substitute as a substitute in our place and defeat our enemy, death. And so if Jesus isn't God, then he's only man and he couldn't live a perfectly sinless life and therefore we are still stuck in our sins. And if Jesus isn't man and he's only God, well, we have no representative who can come before God on our behalf and live and die in our place and so therefore we are still stuck in our sins. And so the hope and the joy and the celebration that we come here every Sunday, and I hope it's a hope and a joy that marks our lives as Christians underneath our experience is these realities, this important truth that Jesus is God and man, His authority is eternal and it has been earned. And praise God, we don't come together to speculate on who He is. We come together to worship Him as He is because He has revealed Himself to us in His Word. And so Jesus' authority is eternal and it was earned on earth in His life, His death and particularly in His resurrection. And so let's turn to see what, what, is, it, what is this authority actually look like? We're told that it is authority in heaven and on earth. All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. You know, if you, if you double-click or dive into the Greek on the very first word, all there, you know, well, it actually means something very interesting. If you, if you actually look at, look at the original language in the Greek, it actually means all. All. Jesus has all authority. Jesus has ultimate authority. And He has that in heaven. He has all authority over the entire spiritual world. He has authority to cast out demons and tell them what to do. And we see in His ministry that that demons come before Him and grovel because they know whose presence they're in. Jesus commands all angels and every spiritual being. And we're told that in the hours that led up to His betrayal, He could have, if He wanted to, clicked His fingers and armies of angels swarmed in protection of Him. And yet He humbly wanted to lay His life down. Jesus has all authority in heaven and Jesus has all authority on earth. I remember once watching a nature documentary narrated by David Attenborough, one of those shows that you kind of ordinarily you just have on in the background, which you accidentally kind of have there on the TV while you're making dinner or something. Well, I actually sat down and watched and paid attention. And it was a show about fabulous frogs. Fabulous frogs, very niche, very random. But these frogs, you know, frogs are absolutely incredible. I learned a few things watching this show. I saw that there was this, this moment where there was this one frog who was protecting some tadpoles in a pond, and yet the sun was beaming down upon this pond that the, tadpo- uh, the, the frog sensed that the pond was going to dry up soon, and so it dug a hole underground to get to a bigger pond 
somehow knowing how physics and, and how the sun and the water works and protected all the tadpoles and they swam behind this frog into this bigger pond. Incredible, incredible. I also learned that often a female plants the eggs, a male fertilizes the eggs and in one particular case sometimes fertilizes the eggs in its own throat and so we'll like eat the tadpole eggs in its throat and then after a period of time the tadpoles start punching its way out of the throat of the male frog and then the male frog kind of spits out little miniature versions of itself from its mouth. Praise God that's not how human pregnancy (laughs) works but incredible Incredible. And then it gets even better. One frog that lives near the North Pole actually produces glucose in its blood to act as antifreeze. And so that when blizzards come, given the climate, blizzards come, the frog gets fully frozen on the outside and even its heart stops beating. And then when summertime comes, the sun melts its body and it just starts hopping around again as if nothing ever happened. Incredible. Just amazing things. You know, the earth is incredible. Creation is mind-blowing. It is unbelievable. This is just one niche episode I watched about frogs. Can you imagine the the complexity of all the the ecosystem of creation? Of everything that, that, you know, something happens here and that impacts what happens here. The the different levels of of oxygen and carbon dioxide that are are required to sustain a, a breathable, habitable planet. Sometimes my son and my son Axel and I, we, we watch uh, YouTube just quickly before bed. And often we're watching, you know, fights on the African savannah between a cheetah and a lion or something like that. Uh, but a couple of weeks ago, we watched a kid, couldn't be more than eight years old, had a, had a number of Rubik's cubes laid out before him. And he picked up the Rubik's cubes and he started juggling. And as he was juggling, he solved the Rubik's cubes. Incredible. Amazing. And we could, we could go on thinking about the complexity of the human body, the magic of how you know, a, a mother of a baby, their, their breast milk will change to provide better immunity for a baby if it's sick, the awesomeness of technological innovation. Like people are watching this service hundreds of kilometers away right now. It is incredible what goes on in our world, the, the difficulty of, of quantum physics, year 12 specialist mathematics, you know, further maths was complex enough for me. When maths becomes more about letters than it does about numbers, it is no longer maths to me. It is speaking in tongues and I do not have the gift of interpretation for that. And so think about all the wonder and all the complexity of creation. Jesus has authority over all of it. Nothing of these things that blow our minds are complex to Him. Colossians tells us that all things were made through Him and for Him. You know, Jesus didn't have to go home and work it out later, how to to work out all these things like quantum physics and and, and all that kind of thing. He didn't have to spend time mulling over how, how to design these things. No, Jesus has such authority that these things are, are simple to Him. And so he's telling his disciples that nothing that happens on earth, the things that we can't even get our minds around, nothing that happens on earth is a surprise to him. Jesus is in charge of everything that goes on in our world. 
And we should zoom in on that because Jesus' authority isn't just cosmic, it's also personal. Let's remember, he's, he's telling his disciples here, while well, well, knowing that, that some of them are in his presence doubting. He, he wants to comfort their doubts. They don't know what the future is going to hold. They don't know how it's all going to pan out. They don't know where their lives are going. They've followed a crucified Messiah and Jesus has been telling them as he's, as he's kind of led up to the cross that, you know, hey, the, the things that happened to me, they're, they're likely to also happen to you. And so they know that they're going to be ignored. They're going to be mistreated. They're going to be persecuted. And Jesus tells them particularly all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Jesus wants them to know that his authority extends to the circumstances of their lives. The things that we're grateful for in our lives, Jesus gave that. The things that cause us to ask, why God? Can't you do something? Well, yes, he can. Jesus feels those things. Jesus knows those things. Jesus has plans for those things. The things we're anxious and stressed about, Jesus knows that. The things that we're hoping for and dreaming of, Jesus hears that. Jesus is in control of all the planetary systems in the universe, but also the circumstances in your life. He has authority over everything out there. He has authority over everything in your life and in mine. And what's comforting and encouraging for us is that not only does Jesus give us the sense of the, the, the grandeur of his authority, the strength and the bigness of his authority, he's also revealed in his life, death and resurrection, the character of his authority. See, Jesus didn't, he didn't need to go into it here with the disciples who laid before him because, because they've walked with him now for, for some three or four years. They, they know who Jesus is, what he is like. They saw him live in humility and lowliness. They saw Jesus care for the poor and the outcasts. They saw Jesus be gentle toward people that the establishment hated. They saw Jesus forgive sin, heal the sick, welcome the stranger, rebuke injustice and false religion. And ultimately, they watched as he laid down his life, being spat upon, the one with all authority, showing all humility in laying down his life as a ransom for many. And so this is why who Jesus is and the authority that he has is good news for us. Because we have a Savior who is not just powerful, but uses his power for our good. Not just the one who has all authority, and yet uses his authority to save us to forgive us, to heal us, to cleanse us, to protect us and invite us into his family. Nothing that comes into our lives this year is out to harm us. Nothing that comes into our life is there to hurt us, to damage us. No, Jesus, we're told, is working all things together for our good, for our faith, for our perseverance, for our trust in Him. We can praise God that all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to Him. It is good news. Jesus is the one that's in charge. It's okay if you're not. Jesus is the one who knows the future. It's okay if you don't. Jesus is the one who knows what He's doing. It's okay if you don't. 
He has all authority in heaven and on earth. Finally, let's, let's turn to see the, the final element of Jesus' authority. We are entrusted and it is empowering. Because when we think about the authority of Jesus, uh, we can perhaps respond thinking, well, oh, gee, I, I better, get my, better get my act together then. You know, better get my life sorted out. We can act with, with God as if he's, he's the vice principal that I described earlier. That once we recognize his authority, it's like, oh, whoa, whoa, I better be on my, my best behavior. And it is true that Jesus' authority should make us want to obey him. He is worthy of it. He has loved us so well. He has shown us himself. He is worthy of all of our lives being brought under submission to him. He's in charge. What he say, what he says should go in our life. But in the context of the Great Commission, Jesus is not telling his disciples about his authority for them to get their act together or even only to comfort their doubts, but rather to G them up that they might go. We're going to look at this more next week. But the following words, after all authority in heaven and on earth have been given to me, Go, therefore. Go, therefore. Jesus wants us to be sure of his authority, of who is in charge, and the impulse or the response that we should have from that is to go. You know, so often as Christians, we, we, our whole world, our whole life is, is internal. You know, we're, we're busy fretting and, and, and trying to maintain our relationship with God by thinking, you know, is this a sin or is, is, is that a sin? Are we holy enough? Are we worthy enough? And the answer to both is no. But that shouldn't make us want to retreat from God. Rather, that should strike us as how amazing is it that Jesus wants people like us to go? It is a very important reality that everybody who trusts in Jesus is immediately commissioned into his army, onto his team, into his family. Sinful people, disorganized people, messed up people, broken people. As we live under His rule, His reign, we actually become vessels to some of His authority on earth. Now, of course, the, the first disciples, His original audience here, uh, that we get to be fly on the wall for this conversation, they, they had that sense of authority that, that Jesus gave them in a, in a very unique way. You know, they, they, we see it in the book of Acts. They, they walked up to people and said, hey, you, you rise again and, and, and Peter and, and Paul, they, they raised people from dead, death. We're told at one point that, you know, the handkerchief of Peter was going around healing people. Let us not share each other's handkerchiefs thinking that it's going to heal us. We do not have that kind of delegated authority. There was something special going on there. But still, we do have some sense that Jesus is using us to wield his authority in the world. I've, I've seen this in my own life in a powerful way. I remember when I was about uh, nine or, or ten in Sunday school, and someone asked the Sunday school teacher, teacher, you know, what, what is hell like? And I remember, the, the, I remember the, the, the literal fire in the eyes of the teacher as she responded, that it would be like a never-ending lake of fire. And the fear of God went up my spine. And I remember receiving that as... This is more than just the teacher telling me this. I need to go away and consider what's just been said. 
I remember when I was about 12 or 13 and I was getting up to no good with some of my mates and, and the youth pastor pulled me aside and said, Nick, do you even call yourself a Christian? And I didn't know what to say. And then later it struck me that, gee, it's a problem, I didn't know what to say then. And then there's been other times where I've been pulled aside to be encouraged and to be built up and to be told, hey, actually, you're good at that, you should, you should, you should do more of that, to be, to be affirmed. And, and all these words together, you know, I've taken them, not just as the opinions of people, but rather they have struck me with a weight, they've struck me with an authority that has made me think, you know, perhaps I should go away and pause and reflect on that. This is why the Bible makes a big deal about false teaching. Because when a teacher, you know, gets up, and speaks from the Bible, they're representing God. And when you are representing God, you better make sure that what you say He says is right. So I'm going to get judged harshly for my preaching because I'm standing up telling you what the Bible teaches. But all of us, if you are a Christian, you are a vessel, we're told in the Scriptures, a vessel of God's mercy to the world. We are representing Him. And when we encourage, when we rebuke, when we build up, when we comfort people, we should be doing it in a way that that encouragement, that rebuke, that building up, that comforting is received by the person as from God Himself. You ever had an experience where you've received something from someone and you thought, God has provided? Isn't that what happens? We, we, We give and the person receiving the gift, praise God, He has provided we bless, and the person receiving the blessing says, praise God, God has blessed us. He did, but He did it through people like you and me. We get the privilege under Christ's authority, by the power of the Holy Spirit, to be the hands and the feet of Jesus today. So, do you, do you know that as a Christian? Do you, do, you, do you sense that in your life? Do you think about that at all? about how you in your life are representing Jesus to those in your sphere of influence, to those in your world? How do you plan to make the most of that responsibility that has been entrusted to you as a little Christ, as a Christian in your world? Your life and your actions, they matter. They make a difference. And you, you, Jesus knows everything going on in your life and in your heart and He wants to use you to make a difference in the world. To make a difference by knowing that, that, hey, all authority in heaven and on earth belongs to Jesus. But Jesus sends us out. Jesus lives in us. Jesus works through us. And so some of Jesus' authority has been entrusted to us and that means it should be very empowering for us. Go, therefore, Jesus says. He wants to push us forward in His power. He wants us to get up off the couch. He wants us to engage with the world, to to get after it, to make a difference. When we know that Jesus has all authority, we can be confident that there there is nothing in our year ahead that ultimately can ruin us. Nothing you fail at this year is going to be a surprise to Him. He says, go anyway. You being well put together didn't incline Jesus to you. And so you falling apart is not going to make him distance himself from you. And so you can enter 2022 marked by gospel optimism. We should be hopeful. We should be optimistic about what the Lord is going to do in our lives and through our lives this year. Sometimes you won't know what to do. 
Jesus is still in control. Sometimes you will be tired and life will feel like a slog. Well, Jesus can still use you in your limitations. Sometimes you will mess up and do completely the wrong thing and show your weakness. Well, God's grace is made perfect in weakness. We know the one who is Lord over everything. And so we can have this optimism. We can have hope. We can have this faith because Jesus is risen. He has gone down into death and he has come out victorious. He has defeated the the worst thing that could happen to us in this life. For all those who have trusted in him, he's, he's put away. I was struck by, as I was preparing this, how the, the last words of Jesus in, in the flesh on earth are also actually very similar to the last words of God to us in the Bible, in the book of Revelation, the last book of the Bible. You know, Revelation gets, gets a lot of attention because of its imagery and, you know, people are trying to get the maps out and the charts and draw the dot, you know, put, put it all together. But really, the imagery there is just to help us feel the reality of the theological truth that underpins it. No power, no spirit, no beast, no evil can rob us of Jesus' victory. And the message of Revelation is not that, hey, Jesus will win in the end. As if the future is still up for grabs somehow. As if there's still kind of uncertainty about how it's all going to play out and Revelation comes along just to say, it's okay, it's okay, Jesus will win in the end. No, the message of Revelation, and in other words, the message of God to us in our lives right now, is that Jesus has already won. Jesus has already conquered. He won when He rose from the dead. And that changes everything. What we know for certain about 2022 is that it is just another year to live in light of the victory that Jesus has already won. Another year to be a blessing to the people in our lives. Another year to pray that God would have mercy on those who don't yet know Him. Another year to give, to serve, to love, to be faithful. And another year to go. To go. We can have this optimism because all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to Him. He has the whole world in His hands. He has all authority and He has you in His hands. And so let this reality change your life. Let this reality change your year, change your posture from uncertainty and doubt and anxiety to courage, to boldness, to faith that we might go together into this year. Let's pray together. Gracious God, we thank you that you are Lord of heaven and earth. Lord, we thank you that you own the the cattle on a thousand hills, that none can stay your hand or say to you, what have you done? That you put the stars, the planets, the galaxies into the sky that you've determined the times and the places and the seasons in which we live, that you are sovereign Lord of all. And Lord, we praise you that you have come in the flesh, that you have sent your Son, Jesus, to live our life and yet do so perfectly, to die our death sacrificially and to rise again victoriously. And so therefore, we want to give Him all honour, we want to give Him all glory, we want to give Him all the praise that He rightfully deserves. And Lord, we want to give You all of our lives.
And so fill us by your Spirit with a gospel optimism that we don't have to be in charge because you are. We don't have to be in control because you are. And we can trust in you. We can put our faith in you. We can entrust our years to you. We can entrust our whole lives to you. Lord, we confess how often we fail to do that. We confess how often we're distracted, how often we're fretting, how often we're giving in to that feeling of uncertainty. Lord, help us feel afresh and help us feel palpably and powerfully these realities that we've seen in this sentence that you uttered. All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to you. Lord, help us live like all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to you. We need your help to do so. We pray this in Jesus' mighty name and all God's people said, Amen. Thank you for listening to our podcast. If you'd like to know more about our church or if you'd like to donate to the work of City on a Hill, please visit cityonahill.com.au.